Our reading from God's Holy Word this morning comes from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. This is God's Word. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by a descent of a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. And I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by the servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all of his works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made a name for yourself. As at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy hill because of our sins. And for our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for his mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your city 
and your people are called by your name. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you now in the few minutes that we have together, as we ponder this, your word together, that you would indeed be the mouthpiece, that you indeed would be the transformer of our hearts, that you would come and give these words wings into the life of your people, and that these words would be living words that begin to dwell within us and among us as your people. And that you would fit us to pray and to be prayerful as has been displayed here by your servant, Daniel. Please come and make your presence known among us now. We rest in your power alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of our service today, we, it is a special service with the privilege of ordaining and installing a brand new deacon in our midst, Mr. Jim Robinson, which we'll celebrate together here in just a few minutes from now, which will be a great joy to participate in that together. And it is, I think, a very smiling providence, we can put it this way, that we're in Daniel 9 for this uh, ordination and installation service, because if there is anything that leaders within the church need, it is prayer. It is prayer, and we need men who lead prayerfully. I believe we see in this text a man of prayer, and I believe that we see the prayer of the man. And what those two say to us about what it means to lead the people of God, what it means to indeed love the people of God. I want to look with you first at what it means to be a man of prayer, and then to look secondly at the prayer of this man. To unpack it in a little bit of detail this morning, and, and sadly we won't be able to get to everything that we need to get to in this passage, but I'll find a way some way or another to circle back to it at an appropriate time in the, in the future. As we look at this, we won't be able to go verse by verse and unpack these beautiful and sometimes deep and dark, sometimes soaring lines of praise and rejoicing and sometimes mournful confession and repentance and petition from the Lord. We won't be able to look at them all, but we'll look at some themes. We'll look at a few things that we believe the Lord really teaches us about what it means to be a man of prayer and what it means to look at the prayer of this man. Well, I want to look at three of these characteristics of the man of God that we see here with Daniel. And I want you to see, firstly, that he is a man that is dependent on God. He is a man who's dependent on God. A truly prayerful person, as Daniel was, must be a person who is convinced of their utter dependence on God. If you've wondered what does it mean to be a prayerful person, that's what it means. It means someone who is living in conscious awareness that they are utterly dependent upon God. Now, someone who doesn't pray doesn't feel that. 
doesn't sense that. And you know this, those of you who get to those places in your life where you feel really dependent upon God, you'll find that prayer just bubbles out. It's almost like it's, it's the reaction of dependence upon God. But when you have everything together, when your resources seem like they're full, and you don't sense that dependence upon the Lord, you will go for a period of time and be very, very prayerless. Because you think you've got what it takes to be able to get through life. When dependence upon God begins to really function at the center of our lives, prayer becomes the outworking evidence that our soul is in that place. Now, what I'd like you to see is that Daniel has manifested this kind of character from the beginning of the book of Daniel. And it's been God's kindness to grant this gift of prayerfulness to Daniel, but he's done it through difficulties. And this is the way it usually happens for us. When God strips away the things that we typically rely upon for our strength, prayer becomes more important to us in that process. Daniel has become a man who's been brought from Jerusalem into exile in Babylon. He's a man who's had his family taken from him, a man who's had his home taken from him, a man who's seen uh, atrocities done to his fellow countrymen and friends. He's a man who's been placed in a position where he has constantly had to think of what it means to be utterly dependent upon God and to act in alignment with that dependence because that's been the reality of his life. We would like to sense our dependence upon God without having our dependencies in life stripped from us. It usually, though, doesn't work that way. It usually doesn't work that way. Usually, God begins to work prayer into our hearts and our lives by taking away the things that we typically rely upon. And then he begins to make us people who are prayerful. We saw this in Daniel chapter 2 when Nebuchadnezzar had that dream that could not be interpreted. And in his anger threatened to kill all the wise men of the court. What did Daniel do in that moment in Daniel chapter 2? Well, he took to his knees. Because Daniel knew that his own life was in, being threatened in that moment. He knew the lives of those who were in the court were being threatened in that moment. And he was a man who hit his knees and he pled from the Lord to give him an interpretation to the dream. And of course, God answered it. And immediately following that, later in that same chapter, after the Lord had answered it, what was Daniel's response to God's answer? Guess what? It was prayer. It was a prayer of adoration. It was a prayer of thanksgiving. It was a prayer of acknowledgement that apart from you, Lord, there would have been no way out of this. You have indeed come in proportion to our needs. Daniel has been that man. Later in Daniel 6, when the king, Darius, makes an injunction that everyone in the dominion must only pray to him for the next 30 days, Daniel, rather than taking 30 days off of prayer kept with what was clearly established a daily pattern of prayer in his life. This is what we read in Daniel 6. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. 
We have seen this kind of commitment to Daniel. Daniel has been a man that has been committed to prayer. He's prayed when he's needed help and guidance. He's prayed when God is answered in thanksgiving and adoration. We as a, he gives us here in Daniel 6 a steady pattern of prayer. It wasn't just out of need. It was a routine. It was something that he worked into his life. Even when he was in the places where things were going well for him, he was a man who knew that apart from the Lord, he could do nothing. And so he was a man who wore out the knees of his pants with holes because he knew he needed prayer. Prayer was his lifeline. Prayer was what he knew he needed. And now, in 539 B.C., the first year of King Darius, 70 years... They've been in Babylon at this point. Daniel has not given up hope, which is sometimes our tendency, isn't it? We pray for a little while and we give up hope. Now, Daniel, 70 years into this, he's still praying. He continues to be hopeful and dependent upon the Lord. And listening to his prayer, we're struck by a second quality of the prayerful man. We're struck by this piece, that he is devoted to the Word of God. He's dependent upon God, but he's devoted to the Word of God. How do we see that? Well, in the opening verses of chapter 9, we reveal that his prayer was prompted, we could say the impetus was, his reading of Holy Scriptures. Verse 2, Daniel perceived in the books, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Now, he is sitting here reading the prophets, the Scriptures, and as he reads them, he perceives the truth of them. He's been in Babylon 70 years. He has a regular pattern of prayer. He senses, based upon what's revealed in the prophet Jeremiah, that the time of the exile is coming to a close. And he has good reason to believe this because in Jeremiah 29, we actually read these very words. These are probably the words that Daniel read. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now Daniel reading those words from the Lord, devoting himself to the scriptures, realizing where they've been in Babylon as he's faithfully prayed, he knows that they're on the cusp of God's promises coming true. And we see that this man who has been dependent upon the Lord his dependency being expressed in prayer is yoked with and tied to his devotion to the Word of God. The Word of God is what aligned and informed his prayers to God. He allowed the petitions of God, the promises of God, the truths of God to fuel his prayers, to drive his prayers so that he was not capricious in the things which he asked or pled with the Lord, but he knew that he was speaking of something that was according to the will of God. This is true of a man who is truly committed to praying. Because you know, and I know, that the things that we often pray for have sometimes a lot more what we would desire than what it is that God has clearly revealed. We have a tendency to focus upon, Lord, I would like these things to happen in my life rather than to say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. But what we see Daniel in this passage is bringing prayer in the Bible in closest possible relationship with one another. He commits himself to the word of God. Dependence on God, 
devoted to the word of God. Thirdly, and finally, he, was a di- he disciplined himself to pursue God. He disciplined himself to pursue God. In the next few verses in Jeremiah 29, after the ones that I read a second ago, this is what we read. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me, and when you seek me, you will seek me with all of your heart. Now, it's amazing here in verse 3 of Daniel chapter 9, you see that that's exactly what Daniel begins to do. Very clearly, he models this in patterns for us, exactly what Jeremiah 29 said would happen leading up to the end of exile and the return to Jerusalem. Look at verse 3. Then, after reading the prophet Jeremiah, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. This is devotion. A man disciplining himself in pursuit of the Lord. He's been dependent upon God. He's read the word. And now as he comes before the Lord, knowing what Jeremiah 29 said, you're going to pray to me. You're going to begin to pursue me with your whole heart. And I will hear you. And I will come and rescue you. With Jeremiah's instruction, Daniel takes it seriously. That the Lord means to meet with his people and answer his people when they pray according to his will. As he's promised in the word. And so what we see here is that Daniel does not say, well, if God promised it, I guess we can just rest on our heels and wait for it to happen. He, He says, because God has promised it, And I also see the way in which he has promised this to come about. I will devote myself in a disciplined manner to, as it were, cry out until heaven itself comes down and the promises of God are fulfilled. I want you to see just how committed he was. Look at the way this is described. Fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now, fasting is the withholding of food from the body for a period of time in order to devote yourself to communion with God in prayer. If we can parallel the physical with the spiritual here and how those two match up, it is depriving your physical body of something so that you feel need, the sense of dependence, in order to pursue communion with God that you might be filled up with His presence. All right? It is to say, I don't live by bread alone, But I live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I live by the presence of God. Fasting has a way of saying, I believe that. And I'm pursuing that. Sackcloth, a coarsely woven kind of fabric, very rough, often made of goat hair or animal skins or something along those lines. It was usually an irritant to the skin. Something that would kind of rub you raw if you spent too much time wearing it. What would be the purposes here? Well, it's an expression of that, that rough pain that we would feel on the inside has to do with the kind of sorrow and pain that we feel on the inside spiritually as we come to the Lord in repentance. Our hearts are grieved. We're broken. And so we externally put on what actually is happening internally to our lives. And Jeremiah is saying, this is what I want you to see, Lord. I'm emptied of bread in order to be filled with your presence. I'm putting on sackcloth, which is an irritant, so that I can be calmed and, and uh, comforted by your presence, that I would turn from sin, that my, your people would turn from sin, and they would follow me. 
ashes. Ashes are often symbolized for mourning or loss, but even more profoundly, I think, it says that our life or my life as a, as a body here, as a people, we're in ruin. We are a people who have in some ways been uncreated. It's that sense of returning to the dust. That we are, we, I am taking upon myself uh, the symbol of something that has decayed. Now each of these are a visible picture of lamentation and sorrow for where the people of God are. And Daniel here is coming as a representative of the people and he says, Lord, I want you to see on the inside and the outside, from the top to the bottom, from the, from the, from the heart all the way out to the fingers and the toes, I am laying myself before you in repentance that you might restore your people Israel. Now what we see in this commitment from Daniel is this, this is not simply a throwaway line of prayer that he says on his way driving to work in the morning. This is not merely the simple mumbling of prayers throughout the day, as important and as helpful as those are. This is the dogged pursuit of God. It says, if you don't come, we will perish. If you do not answer there is no hope, and we will, as the prophets tell us, give you no rest until your promises are fulfilled and until your name resounds through all of the earth and your glory is known as far as the east is from the west. That's a very different kind of bold praying that's happening here, the kind of disciplined pursuit of being in the presence of God. Listen, this is what we see a man of God and a man of prayer looks like. He's a man who's dependent upon God. He's devoted to the Word of God. He's disciplined in his pursuit of God. Is that characteristic of us as a people? Is this who we are? Do we sense that kind of utter dependence upon the Lord? It's very hard in our context. It's very hard in our context. We came from air-conditioned homes. We drove in air-conditioned cars here. We have everything that we need at our beck and call. Our children open up our pantries full of food and they tell us that we have no food. We need to go to the store and get some more. Right? That's what they say. We're no better and we're no different. It's hard to feel that kind of dependence on the Lord when we are inoculated with the stuff of life, which means that we might need to fast. We might, we might need to put on sackcloth. We might need to put on ashes. There may be a sense in which, Lord, we are asking, we are actually pursuing you to the degree to say, Lord, we want space to be created in our hearts and lives, need to be felt, so that we understand that we are absolutely and completely relying upon you. Completely relying upon you. That kind of desperate prayer. If you don't come, Lord, we're, a, we're lost. And it's very difficult to get to that kind of spiritual place within a context of, quote-unquote, blessing. And we, I put the blessings in quotes because it's only a blessing if it's driving you to God. It's not a blessing if it's keeping you from Him. It's not. 
It's very clear that God said this would happen to Israel when he said, you're going to go into the land of Canaan. When you get there, you're going to be in homes that you didn't build. You're going to get fruit from vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to get fat and happy, and you're going to forget me. And this is what Daniel now, on the other side of those promises from Moses, you know, was actually alluded to here in this passage, the oath of Moses. He's seeing the end of what they were a long time warned about. And the same warning holds true for us today. The Spirit of God, we've got to pray, would put such a sense of dependence upon the Lord in our hearts, individually and collectively, that we're willing to stop at nothing to pursue the presence of God. That's what we're being called to here. Now let's look at the prayer of the man in the few minutes remaining. In verses 4 to 5, we we read this. O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules. I love, I just love these couple of verses. There's, these verses are filled. You need to do an in-depth study of this prayer because this prayer teaches us so much about the dynamics of the spiritual life. But in this particular section, these first two verses, we see Daniel begin the expression of genuine confession. Genuine confession. And Daniel does something here that I, I think is missing a lot in our confessions. I know that it, miss, it, it misses a lot even in my own confession, but in working and praying with us as a congregation, I think this is often missing, that we see confession very one-dimensional. The confession is me expressing to the Lord what I did wrong and asking for forgiveness. That's critical. That's critical, and that's that's a part of it. But I want you to see what Daniel does here. Daniel doesn't just simply say, Lord, we've done what is wrong. We sinned against you. Please forgive us and make it right. He also draws into that confession the character of God himself. He dovetails together the confession with the character of God. Notice how he does it. He says, O Lord, the great and awesome God. What's he saying there? Lord, before I even get to the confession, which is a part of the main focus of the first part of this prayer, before I even get there, I want to acknowledge with you who you are. I've got to see you well in order to know how to confess well. I've got to know who I'm speaking to, the God of the universe is, is if I'm going to know how to rightly unburden my heart in true confession. In other words, we have to feel the sinfulness of sin in light of the character of God to be true and deep in the kind of confession and repentance that God is calling us to. And and this is not how it normally goes, is it? Let me give you a couple of examples. We often sin and think, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. I'll pray and ask for forgiveness. It's about that quick. Or we might go a little bit further. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, that hurt someone. I feel bad about that. I'm sorry. I'll ask God for forgiveness. And it kind of stops kind of in that loop. A lot of it stays kind of right in that spot. Rather than, I shouldn't have done that. It's an offense to the holy God who created me. Perfect and upright. To be in perfect communion with him. I have fractured this relationship 
by the grievance of my sin as an offense and an affront to the holiness of God. Very, very rarely does it seem that the sin that we commit is actually in relationship to God himself. And yet every sin that we commit, he is the first and primary offender in our sin. And what, it, what Daniel is doing here is he's putting the holiness of God before him. Great and awesome are you. In other words, awe-inspiring fear of the Lord is upon Daniel as he prays before he goes into confession, meaning I know how big this sin is. It's not light. It's not simple. It's heavy. And I acknowledge it before the holiness of God. You see, when you feel the depth and the weight of your sin before the holiness of God, you'll begin to experience in deeper measure the weight and the depth and the beauty of the love of God in the forgiveness of that sin. You see, we rarely have the appreciation we ought to have for the love of God and His forgiveness because we don't have appreciation for the offense of the sin against the holiness of God. Does that make sense? And notice how he ties both of these together in this. Now, as, he's, as he's praying to the Lord, oh, how great and awesome are you, O God, who keeps covenant and what? Steadfast love. He's, he's combining the love of God and the holiness of God, his awesomeness and his greatness, simultaneously in his praying to the Lord. It's similar to what Tony did this morning as we were coming in corporate confession of simply saying that our God is supreme in his majesty, supreme in his glory. There's a supreme penalty that's needed, but we can come because of his mercy, because of his love. Let me tell you, it is different. It is different to give an offense to the holiness of God and to be aware of giving offense to the love of God. Let me tell you how this, this feels in terms of its difference in terms of the soul. The holiness of God has this sense of he could bring all of his wrath and judgment upon me and rightfully so. He is the maker of heaven and earth. He is the judge of all things. He knows everything that we have done in fullness, in the light, in secret. He knows it all. And he is present right now, pressing his hand down upon me because of my sin. Has this kind of shaking fear about it. But when we think about the love of God, here's how that breaks our hearts. Hey, children in here have probably experienced this. I hope you've experienced this. Where you have felt genuine grief for hurting your mom or your dad because you disobeyed them. And not merely because you're going to get in trouble or because they're an authority but merely because you can see in their eyes and in the way that they care for you, that they love you. And in the moment of that love, you still disobeyed and you still shook your hand at them and your fist at them and you still in your heart didn't care. And then all of a sudden, the Lord opened up your eyes and you know what you saw? You saw, your, you saw the love of your parents well up in the tears in the corners of their eyes. And all of a sudden, your heart didn't just get afraid. It melted. It crushed. And it's because you know you didn't just offend their authority. You offended them in love, in their love. I remember when this came home to me, when I, my mom very graciously, some of you know that I was homeschooled 
kind of from fifth grade on, and my mom brought my sister and I home teaching us, and I could be a handful from time to time. I know that's really hard to believe, right? No, those of you who know me know that that's still true. Um, and one day I was just, you know, poking at her and having fun and goofing off and messing with my sister and my mom, really exasperated. It's one of the few moments that I saw her get exasperated. And she got up from the table, you know, and stormed off. And my sister, you know, we've never seen this. You know, we're like, oh boy. You know, she's like, yeah, you really did it this time. I was like, yeah, I did. And, and then I went back in the back, you know, and I'm pursuing my mom. And as I sit there and I'm telling her I'm sorry, I just see her love for me. I could see it on her face. And I could see that what we were talking about was something really important she was trying to address, not just educationally, but character-wise for us. And in that moment, I could see that what I had offended was not the fact that she was my mom and I was to obey. That's right. But what I had offended was the fact that she was pouring out her heart to me in love. And I still didn't care. And when that hit me, I melted. You feel the difference? When he here is describing God as holy, great, and awesome, and of steadfast love, he gets it. He gets it. Not only are you the great and awesome God of holiness, you're the God who continues to pursue us in love, though we shake our fist at you. And he melted. And he began to pray to the Lord. And as he prayed to the Lord, what I love that Daniel did here in this passage, I wish we had time to explore it, is he identified with the people of God. Now, if, if there's ever been someone who's really read well in the scriptures in terms of faithfulness, Daniel's that guy. Like, I mean, you really are not going to find dirt on Daniel. It's really difficult. You, you'd have to imagine that it might be there, and you know that it is. It's just not recorded. He's a sinner. But he doesn't have this glaring David-like fall moment. Okay, he just doesn't have a glaring Abraham fall moment. Or I, just, it's not there. And what I love about it is you see it here. Not in the glaringness of some technicolor sin, but in the grief of his heart over his sin. You know he's a sinner. He's so aware of it. So clearly here in this passage. And he's not a man who is willing to separate himself out from the people, but instead identifies with the people. That's what struck me so much by this particular section. I wish we could go into the details of it, but what you see in verses 5, 6, 8, again in 9, 11, 13, 14, and 15, is Daniel is praying, we, the people, us. He's identifying with his people. And this is incredibly striking because what he is actually doing is he has inhabited or taken up the posture of what the people ought to be doing. He's the one who put on the sackcloth. He's the one who's fasting. He's the one who has ashes on his head. He's the one who's praying. He's the one who is embodying what the people of God ought to be doing. We have no indication that the people of God are doing this. He's received these visions. And so he begins to plead to the Lord on behalf of the people. He doesn't wave his finger at them and say, you know what? I didn't do that sin. They can mourn over that. How, that's such our tendency, isn't it? You know, you know that, that, that's their sin. They can confess it. 
You know, Lord, I pray for so-and-so that they would confess their sin. You know, it's not, what he's, it's not what he's doing here. He identifies himself with the people so much so that he actually takes up the very posture that they should take up. Now, this is really hard for Westerners like ourselves who are very individualistic in nature. I mean, our tendency is to think, hey, if you did it wrong, you got to make it right. You're the one who needs to do the praying. That's not what Daniel's saying here. He's saying, I dwell among a people, as Isaiah said, of unclean lips. I am collectively in covenant and yoked with the people of God who these sins are true of. Let me tell you, that's exactly what we do when we corporately confess sin here at Cornerstone. We go through that in the middle of the service. I've had on a couple of occasions really great questions from you as a congregation when we have looked at a corporate confession, and some of you have said, I read that confession on Sunday, and when I read through that confession on Sunday, I thought to myself, I don't think I've done this stuff. Now, in all honesty, what they meant was, not that I haven't ever done this stuff, but recently I don't remember doing this stuff. Um, should I confess, or is that unfaithful? I said, well, well, no. Here's the reason it's not. You're not simply confessing for yourself in the midst of the worship service. You're taking the sins of your brothers and sisters there in confession to God too. We're doing this together. We're saying collectively, these sins are among us. And sometimes when I read the confession, even as we're working through it in preparation, I'll think to myself, well, immediately I can't draw that up. And then you know what begins to happen? As I begin to burrow into that language, I go, oh, there it is. There it is in my life. So for, if you ever have that pause, you're reading the confession of sin on Sunday morning, and your heart says, I don't think I've done this, you might want to pause. Think about that for a while. It's probably a good thing. In addition to that, to say, this is not really all about you. This is about God's people. It's about a collection of people. We're taking each other's sins and burdens to the Lord for each other. That's what we're doing. And listen, this is the reason this is important, and I have to close with this, is that later in Israel's history, there's a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Heard of him? He comes along and his godliness is so great that it's not worthy to be compared to the godliness that we see of Daniel. But he does not balk at corporately being identified with his people. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. And yet, he didn't don sackcloth and fasting and ashes. Instead, he took up a cross. He was ruined on the cross. There it was. That's the sackcloth. That's, that's the deprivation. That's the ruin. That's the ashes. He took it up on the cross. And he didn't say, I, I, I do this in a distant fashion. He says, I do this on behalf of, standing in solidarity with my covenant people. Because these sins are named among them. And today, I don't merely intercede for them on their behalf, I actually take on the very punishment of them in my body. And I make a way for them to live eternally in heaven with my Father. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I want to encourage you 
We won't always pray as faithfully as we see Daniel here. We won't always see the dependence and the devotion and the discipline and the clear articulation of confession. We need to pursue it by God's grace. But here's what I want to tell you is right now there is a prayer that is much more beautiful than the prayer that we just prayed, being prayed at the right hand of the Father. And it's the prayer of Jesus Christ. And it's on His lips right now. And He has your name and your heart and your sins that He is bringing before Almighty God. And as He prays for you, that intercession becomes the mediation through which you and I return from exile and make our way all the way home. What encouragement and what grace we have. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that these truths as we have explored them together would be more deeply renovating and renewing of our hearts than they've been before. And that you would challenge us to begin to practice the kind of praying that we're seeing displayed here in the text of Scripture, reliant upon the greater prayer that's being prayed this morning, much greater than the prayer I'm praying right now, but the prayer of Jesus Himself. We pray that that prayer you would listen to more than any other prayer, always. We ask this in His name. Amen.